Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting a lot more serious uh, is uh, referencing what happened over the last few days with the Iranian attacks on uh, bases in Iraq that housed American forces following the American killing of uh, Qasem Soleimani. And we've had that story that's toned down okay that is has been de-escalated i'll tell you what is not being de-escalated the real threat that iran and other countries have or are to the united states brad garrett abc news crime and terrorism analyst is with us uh brad and you've been covering this first of all thanks for joining us and let's talk about the threat and how realistic it is and our defenses so look at it this way bill that cyber hacking, cyber attacks have been obviously going on for years. And Iran, Russia, China, fill in the blank, have been trying to hack into systems, have successfully hacked into systems, stolen proprietary information from corporations, have hacked into government computers. But the belief is that because of what has occurred that you just described with Iran, that the hackers that are either directly connected or indirectly connected to Iran will up their game. Now, what does that translate into? Could they up their game potentially to going after the power grid in Los Angeles and shutting it down? Maybe, which would shut down your Internet. Could they affect your water water flow through computers? The answer is potentially. So I, I think what you have to look at is they're looking for vulnerabilities, and they're going to look at ways to go at us where it doesn't involve missiles and bullets, where it really involves the ability to affect our our computer capacity. Yeah, which is super cheap and obviously far more effective and uh, much more uh, much more wide ranging than a terrorist attack at a specific place. But why haven't they done it yet? Why don't? Why have not we see, uh, we've seen major power grids going down or banks, Wells Fargo, all of a sudden? Uh, trillions of dollars being uh, transferred overseas into accounts. Is it because of their inability, they're not good enough, or the security that these banks, these power grids have, or is it a combination of the two? It's, it's a combination, but I think the more important variable, Bill, is whatever they throw at us, we will throw at them. So if you think about doing something as bold as shutting down the power grid, if you could, in Los Angeles, then the U.S. will respond to that. And can they do something maybe even far worse to Iran? Maybe. So this is a, you know, this is a game that can really get super dangerous if it gets out of control. I think that's the only reason that it holds some people back. Now, I do think we are generally better. Uh, at cybersecurity, but think about the thousands of systems just in California alone, from power grids to water supply to the banking system, the medical system. I mean, they have 
the ability to go in and wipe computer systems out. They, they did it in Saudi Arabia. They wiped 30,000 computers, wiped all the data off of them, of Aramco, uh, the big oil supplier producer in, in Saudi Arabia. So think about that. If they could go into Los Angeles and, and wipe out the computers that run the grid. Well, let me ask. The grid might still be there, but you can't run it. Yeah, yeah, let me ask in terms of backing that up. Uh, Let's say you back it up firewall, and if you're really crazy, you back it up again with uh, another backup system. Uh, Do these folks have the ability to go through all of them and in the end shut everything down? Well, only in the short run. In other words, if you have a system, it depends on obviously how they damage your system. But if, if, for example, there are backup systems in the power grid for Los Angeles, that if they came and wiped the computers out, you know, there would be a shutdown for a period of time, but they might be able to get them up quicker because they could, they could hook up new computers and go on from there. Because the key to backup systems, Bill, is they're not hooked to the Internet. In other words, on your laptop or desktop, if every day – you download onto a hard drive the work you did that day, whatever it might be, and the pictures you've taken of your family, business, et cetera. They all get downloaded, and then that hard drive is not connected to the Internet. So they don't have an ability to right. get into it like they would well, a system that's hooked. Yeah, well, that's precisely okay. what I do in my business. Uh, a matter of fact, we do it two different ways, and we uh, we have the backup in the cloud. Well, that one you can get through because uh, obviously that's available, but – as you say, it goes onto hard drives, and then those are put in two locations, uh, and of course, not connected to the grid. Why don't big do big organizations? Can they do that? Can a Wells Fargo do that? Can a Los Angeles Department of Water and Power do that? I, I think they can do that. The question is, are they doing that? Do they have the financial backing or resources to do that? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but the you know the real key is. Do you have a backup system, and are you staying up to speed 24-7 on uh, vulnerabilities in your system? Well, you know, whoever supplies the cybersecurity, let's say for your, your power grid, you know, are they up to speed? Uh, are, they, are they talking to the federal government about vulnerabilities they might see? The answer is probably yes. You have state entities that are also involved in cybersecurity. So, it's the key is getting is continuing to keep people informed and their systems up to speed. Because let me tell you, these hackers are so good, they'll they'll go day and night looking at vulnerabilities in systems to break through them. And that's why they've been successful, let's say for example, in breaking into a major corporation's system and stealing proprietary information, like from Boeing, General Dynamics, you know, a number of companies that the Chinese, the Russians, even Iran might want to use from a commercial economic standpoint. So this this goes beyond just disrupting. It also goes to, you know, actually stealing stuff from us that matters. All right. Uh, Brad, thank you much. Uh, Always appreciated. Uh, That's uh, Brad Garrett, who is ABC News and ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. Certainly knows his stuff. All right. I now want to spend a moment or two talking about something that I've been talking about and interested in. I'm assuming you are, too. What happened with... Iran, with the uh, president killing, ordering uh, the assassination of General uh, Qasim uh, Soleimani, uh, Iranian, one of the major Iranian generals, outside of Baghdad airport. So killing uh, a 
military, a foreign military leader on sovereign soil that is even in that country. And so uh, here's what's going on. The Democrats are getting together and Nancy Pelosi wants a vote on limiting the president's authority to engage in war. Uh, and if so, uh, to limit the time or the money. And you go, wait a minute. Doesn't the president have the absolute authority to go to war, to use military force? You think that that's under the purview of the president, commander-in-chief, all of that. Actually, the answer is no. The president does not have unlimited ability to go to war. Now, it gets really interesting because... The only way we can go to war legally, and now we're talking about not even parsing the words of the Constitution, interpreting the words of the Constitution. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about high crimes and misdemeanors and what does that mean. Well, a president can only go to war if two things happen. There is a war... And war is a legally defined entity onto itself. The term war has a legal definition. And the president is the commander-in-chief or can act uh, in a military manner, of course, being head of the military, when Congress declares war. It's only Congress that has the ability to declare war. Last time the United States declared war was against the Japanese on December 8th, 1941. We've never had a war since. Even the Korean War wasn't a war. The Korean War is described as a police action. That's it. Under the auspices of the United Nations. And, oh, the way that that resolution was passed... Oh, this is where the Russians really screwed the pooch. So here we are in 1950, and uh, North Korea invades uh, South Korea and uh, wants to unify, of course, uh, the entire Korean uh, peninsula. And the UN meets, urgency session, and the Security Council votes to go uh, fight the North Koreans. And it was an international force, but the vast, vast majority were Americans. And it was a U.N. resolution. But doesn't Russia have the ability to veto anything that happens uh, in the Security Council? Of course it does. Five countries have the right, permanent right to veto. They have veto power. China, now it's uh, communist China, used to be only Taiwan. England, France, the United States, and Russia. Any one of them can veto, for example, the Korean battle. So as it was being discussed in the Security Council, Russia walked out in protest. So they voted without Russia. Now, Russia was an ally of North Korea. Had Russia stayed in for the vote, they could have vetoed it. Well, they learned their lesson. They're never going to make that mistake again. It wasn't a war. 
it was the a UN resolution and it was an international police action. So how now does uh, the issue of what the Democrats are doing trying to stop the president? I'm going to come back. There's going to be a vote. Of course, uh, the House is going to vote yes. Uh, the uh, Senate is going to vote no. Senate says uh, the president has unlimited power to engage in military activity because the Senate under the Republicans uh, don't believe the Senate has any power at all because the president is the end-all, be-all. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He can disband Congress if he wants to. I think I'm serious. If they had a vote in Congress today that the president has the ability, the power to disband Congress, dissolve Congress, you know how many Republicans would vote in favor of that? You'd be shocked. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Nancy Pelosi is calling for a vote to limit the president's war making power. In light of uh, the attack on and the assassination of uh, Qasim Soleimani and uh, the ordering of retaliation and ordering of troops, etc., uh, going overseas. And how does Nancy Pelosi have that kind of power? How does the Congress have that kind of power? How do you stopping a president from military action? Oh, you bet. It's very specific that Congress has the power to declare war. And you've heard of war on terrorism, the Vietnam War, uh, the the war in Korea, all these wars. None of them were wars. The only war we've officially fought is World War II. After that, it's always been the president making decisions and Congress allowing that and voting the president's ability to do that. For example, the last one is the War Powers Act. 19, uh, and I forget what year, was it 1965, 66, or maybe 67 uh, in Vietnam? Uh, it was, uh, oh, I think it was earlier than that. Uh, the, we went to war against the Vietnam. Uh, Vietnamese, it wasn't a war. That came out of the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. President Johnson manufactured this attack on an American uh, naval vessel. In, uh, North, in the waters, the Korean Sea, and went to Congress and said, I want the ability to start fighting in Vietnam. And, of course, they gave it to him because it was, a, it was a, a Democratic Congress, and they just back up the president. Well, the same thing is going on where you've seen presidents go to, quote, war. They can only do it based on Congress allowing the president to do it. Now it's not even gone there. Now it really doesn't matter. The president can do whatever the hell the president wants. Congress has given up more and more and more of its powers to the point where uh, the president can nuke Tehran tomorrow afternoon uh, without even telling Congress. And, of course, that's going to be backed up by certainly the Senate. The House will vote, and the House is voting now, to limit his ability to do that. To limit his ability to do anything over in that part of the world. Limiting the War Powers Act. And here's how they do it. 
either they don't give any money, they just don't fund it. And without funding, the military can't do jack. Congress holds the purse strings. Or they limit the amount of time. For example, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Let's go back to a president asking for the ability to go to effectively war. Uh, That was President Johnson. And the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was limited. You only have, was it 90 days or X number of days to actually engage in battle. After that, you have to come back to us and you have to report. Well, they kept extending, extending until he was just given full powers and it was going to be at his pleasure. That now is the assumption where the president militarily can do anything he wants. The Republicans are thrilled with that. They have no problem ignoring that provision of the Constitution. Pelosi and the Democrats are real unhappy about it. They want to limit presidential powers. And that's what's going on. Matter of fact, one of the big complaints where uh, the attack on uh, Soleimani uh, was uh, Congress uh, was, in fact, briefed, I think, either at the time or near the time or after the fact. I don't really have the exact uh, timeline, but you had uh, Mike Pence and several other members of uh, the national security team brief. Security members or members high enough in Congress about what was about to happen or the evidence. Remember, the president said we had evidence there was an imminent attack that was going to be headed by Soleimani that was going to that was going to attack American forces or American facilities. And you had all the Democrats saying this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. They, the guy brought nothing to the table. He just said, we're going to attack. and We have great evidence. What evidence? We have great evidence. And whatever evidence was brought, according to the Democrats, and strangely enough, two Republican senators, Mike Lee of Utah and Rand Paul of Kentucky, who said that this was ridiculous, the amount of evidence that was brought forward. It was an insult. Every other Republican said, yes, it w- the briefing was the best briefing of all briefings we've ever heard. There was plenty of evidence, and the Democrats are saying that it was it was so embarrassing the amount of information he had. Can you imagine, even to the point now, this is how polarized our government is. The White House gives a top secret briefing about an upcoming military action. The Democrats say this is the dumbest thing we've ever seen. He brought nothing. The Republicans say it was the most wonderful briefing and there was plenty of evidence. Now, where do you go with that? We're never going to know, nor should we ever know, because it was a secret briefing talking about intelligence sources. So what happens with the Democrats passing this resolution, limiting the president's power? Nothing. Because the Republicans will, and, uh, and well, the Senate certainly will say, nope, the president has unlimited power. We like it. We absolutely like it. All right. Now, uh, the driverless, driverless cars issues, uh, this is getting news across the board because, I mean, we're moving more and more towards that uh, driverless car society. And you look at the feds. 
Because if they're not going to control it, no one does. And the Trump administration has taken a neutral stand, which gets some safety people a little pissed off. But here's the issue, and I think the Trump administration is right on. We do have a duty for safety, but we also have a duty to allow technology to move forward and capitalism and driverless cars. This technology is going to explode and it's truly going to be the wave of the future. 40,000 Americans are killed on the roads every year in the United States. 95% of those die. Those that die, it's due to human error or people drunk or to human activity. When you have driverless cars, uh, that simply is not going to happen. It ain't. Because the technology is much better than anything that you can come up with. With your eyes and brains, because driverless cars aren't distracted. They're not looking at texts. They don't get drunk. Uh, they don't uh, not pay attention. They don't look out the window. They don't look down. They don't speak on the phone. They're just doing their job. Technology it wins out every time over what humans can do. And when it comes to uh, figuring out where you're going, how fast you're going, uh, keeping a distance from uh, other vehicles, other people, I mean, that's where technology really shines. Ask any pilot who will tell you rely on the instruments far more than anything you can do with your eyeballs. That's how uh, planes fly. When you can't see anything, you go into a fog bank, you go into, well, clouds, which are fog banks. I mean, the pilot is seeing the same thing you're seeing, which is nothing. And you're going, oh, my God, he can't see. It doesn't matter. He's looking at instruments. And the instruments control. And they are virtually infallible. So safety is okay. I mean, safety is important. But what do you do? Do you stop technology? Well, here's you know why driverless cars, the technology isn't going nearly as quickly forward as all the experts said? Because in Arizona, where you had, I think it was Waymo, one woman was killed. One woman was killed in the, I don't know how many millions of miles that cars have been tested. Shut down everything. Wait a sec, how is that possible? You know, if that happens with any under in, uh, any other industry, uh, it's crazy. Can you imagine the pharmaceutical industry being shut down the first time someone dies of a new drug? Okay, we're wrapping that one up. Or airplanes. Or the first time someone was killed in a car crash. Okay, no more crashes. We're done. Well, does it make any sense? Of course people are going to be injured. You can't start a new technology like this without injury. So people look to the feds. Let's control it. Let's make sure that our regulations, our safety regulations are so tight that we don't have to worry about it or we worry about it far less. Well, the Trump administration is saying, wait a minute. You know, that stops technology. That stops the market system. And we're going to take a neutral stand. They couldn't be more right. This is where uh, the president who ran on Let's deregulate or not increase regulations. It's true. Overregulation is a killer. And we can all think of various examples, overregulation. I had a friend of mine uh, who I used to go to an Indian restaurant. He was going to open up a second one. 
but dealing with that tandoori oven and air quality management district and the permits, you just gave up. No more second restaurant. There was nan to be had at that restaurant. Had to go there. But that's a true story, by the way. All right, now, um, obviously, uh, Harvey Weinstein is in the news because uh, this uh, this week his trial started in New York on a couple of charges of one rape and the other one sexual uh, assault. And when you look at the number of allegations, when you look at the number of women who have gone forward and accused Harvey Weinstein of uh, the sexual misdoings, it's over 80. And I am sure there are plenty more out there because Harvey Weinstein's pattern of misconduct, the sexual predilections, if you were, his predations, go back decades and decades. And so how is it that there are so many allegations and there are so few charges? Well, a lot of them are just too old. A lot of them don't reach the level of criminality and are simply civil matters. Uh, A lot of them, there's simply not enough evidence, corroboration. I mean, a woman just sitting there saying he did it, and he says he didn't. There has to be other evidence. So it's not all that easy to bring this to trial. So when they do bring it to trial, you can bet that the prosecution thinks they have uh, an airtight, uh, uh, an airtight case. Which, by the way, I can't imagine they don't. I do believe that he is going to go down pretty hard. And then, of course, uh, L.A. County just uh, uh, charged Harvey Weinstein with a couple of, I think, four women uh, here in L.A. So uh, there'll be—I don't even know if there's going to be a trial in L.A. after the conviction, maybe. Uh, but, of course, uh, he's probably going to spend uh, the rest of his life in jail. And we're going to talk a little bit about how his strategy of how he comes off, you know, with the walker and schlumpy and slumped over. And uh, there's a whole strategy to how just you, you dress and act when going to trial, a criminal trial. And so the question is, you know, why did, did, did it take so long? And how and women coming forward now, if this has been going on for 30, 40 years, what happened? Well, uh, the start of the Me Too movement was, of course, initiated by uh, Harvey Weinstein. It was a New York, uh, New York Times uh, story that broke. And then it was picked up later by the New Yorker. And uh, there were maybe a dozen women who just had it. Uh, Among them, uh, Rose McGowan and Ashley Judd, two of the most famous ones. And it was just the dam broke. The emperor has no clothes. I think one of the most interesting parts of this is how long this went on before the stories broke. Now, there were always accusations. It was an open secret that Harvey Weinstein was stooping everybody in town either with threats of destroying careers or enticement of making careers. And so uh, women, and by the way, if he were gay, it'd be men too, but he's not. Uh, and women who want to break into show business, I tell you, that casting couch uh, you know, story is real. I mean, there, it really does exist. 
in a very big way. I mean, how do you think I got to be morning drive here? Wow. You think it's on talent? Who are we kidding? Huh. You know, it's a little bit TMI. Okay. Just a little. Just a, yeah, it's a little bit TMI. Uh, but it finally hit, it hit critical mass. Incidentally, to uh, just to give you an idea of how how extensive this is, you have Hardy Weinstein, Leslie Moonves, head of CBS, Matt Lauer. Uh, you have d- politicians who fell by the wayside. Uh, uh, Al Franken, among others. Others, I know of a couple of politicians. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Personally, and there's a whole story there who have been nailed. Uh, uh, one of them... Uh, did cave. The other one said, you know what? I'm not taking this. And of course, uh, the young lady recanted. It was made up. But today, you really can't even defend yourself. And incidentally, we're only talking about the big players. How many, am I going to say millions? I don't know if millions, but I think I'm going to guess millions of men have been caught up in this. And by the way, I'm saying the vast majority, uh, there was misdeeds. Because today, misdeed is looking at someone and saying, hey, you look great. And that's where it has gone. But at the same time, there has also been an entire history of men being men. Men are pigs. You know, we're just they're just wired differently. I mean, I tell you, in my younger days, I seriously contemplating having sex with a tree trunk. And the only reason I didn't in a knothole in tree trunk is I, the only reason I did is because of the splinters. You know, this TMI is, it's, it doesn't need to be a whole segment. Okay. Just saying. All right. Remember uh, the Lisa Viejo, uh, Southern California, the Aliso uh, Canyon natural gas storage facility that leaked. And uh, of course it caused all kinds of damage, lung damage and, uh, schools were in a mess, and it was uh, there was still pollution out there, methane and other pollutants. So do you know what the school districts did? They put in uh, one of those air filters, 700 bucks, you know, those little boxy air filters in every classroom. I mean, right off the shelf. I have one of those in my office. And it cleaned up the air. And guess what happened? Not only the kids were, of course, healthier. But all of a sudden, and then they kept them on. And all of a sudden, the school noticed that on testing, the kids were getting better testing scores. And I mean by 12, 13%, which is a good sized number. And then went, wait a minute. Air filters and testing? Yeah, there's a connection. The connection is that if you get rid of or you limit the pollution, kids do better. And this is the first time a connection has been made with pollution, of course, causing health problems. But actually, the kids learn better and 
They test better when pollution is controlled and eliminated. Wow. I mean, I knew about the health risks, certainly. But you ever think that kids learn, that, that pollution has that much effect on kids' learning abilities and testing abilities? That's kind of a stunner, isn't it? So what do schools do about this one? Well, do they put one of those, they plug in one of those uh, air filters in every room? Eh, it has to be a little bit more than that. Central air filters? I have an air conditioning system in my house, and we put in a HEPA filter. So you come into my house, of course, you'll never be invited, so you'll never do that. But you come into my house, it's a good place to take a test. Because pollution in my house is obviously very limited because of the filtering that I do with my air conditioning system right in there. But it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, uh, my... uh, uh, my program director, boss, Robin, she had her office painted and it reeked. So, oh my God, I'm getting headaches, et cetera. So I said, here's my air filter. And of course, it got rid of 90% of the odor and it just cleaned everything up. And it turns out if she took a test, she would do better because the air was filtered. The pollution was minimized. Hmm. That's interesting. Had no idea. So why is it that my house, which has very significant filter systems, why is it that my kids did so horrible on testing? Why why do you think that is? Let me think that through. But have, have you ever heard that phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Apples are affected by pollution in a major way, too. Just wanted to bring that up. All right. Now, uh, Boeing, when uh, the 737 MAX fiasco uh, came out, we had those two flights uh, that uh, crashed uh, with the new MAX. Uh, Boeing uh, was accused of all kinds of wrongdoing, and it had to do, it's, it's a little wonky. It had to do with the MCAS system, which is a system that reads whether the plane is stalling or not based on information from sensors that went south and it was a software glitch and uh, the pilots didn't know what to do. And at that point, uh, pilots from all all over the world came back and said, you never gave us simulator time dealing with this potential problem. Pilots are in simulators, I think, twice a year. And they're given everything that can go wrong with the airplane, and they're taught how to deal with it. Well, this one, they weren't taught for a couple reasons. First of all, there was a program and an iPad that a pilot could look at. And in some cases, pilots weren't even told about it because it was an automatic system that had nothing to do with the pilots until the pilots had to override the system when the sensors went south and the wrong uh, information kicked into the software and they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to disengage. So up to this point, the company kept on saying, you know what? The simulators, you don't need simulator time. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons they were able to sell the Macs 
because they said there will not be additional training necessary for the Max, even though it's somewhat of a new airplane. There's a lot of new stuff on there because anybody who can fly a 737, any pilot can fly a 737, hey, you're home free. And that would save uh, airlines millions, tens of millions of dollars a year. So uh, the MAX has been grounded since March. Uh, Doesn't look like it's going to be certified until March at the earliest. And uh, there really is no end to it because that date keeps on going back and back and back. And then the entire issue of that simulator has come up. Well, Boeing just reversed itself and said, yeah, you know what? Okay, pilots should be trained on simulators, which means a lot of new simulators have to be built. And uh, it just extends the uh, responsibility that Boeing has for this airplane in terms of pilot training. And here's the problem they're having. The Boeing 737 MAX is probably the last incarnation of the 737 as we know it. That engine has been increased in size over and over again, and the basic design hasn't changed since the 60s when the airplane first came out. If you look at an old Boeing 737, the engines under the wing look like cigars. And uh, they, uh, it, almost, it looked like the plane was actually underpowered, which it wasn't. Well, today you have these massive engines that have to be brought far forward of where they used to be. And therefore, the change in balance has to be taken into account. The power is much greater. Matter of fact, uh, I think, and I don't know much about it, but I've heard from people saying it's overpowered. It doesn't need all of that power. And if you've ever been in one of those, it, it's, it takes off like a jackrabbit jumping up in the air. I mean, boom, it jumps right up there. It, you, you know that you've got plenty of power there. But connecting the new engines, the new design to the old fuselage, mm, that's a little tricky. In the end, what really should have happened, and a lot of aviation experts uh, have said this, the plane should have been redesigned from the ground up. But utilizing the same old design, the same manufacturing process with the newer engines and this new software and the new kind of uh, airplane built on top of the old fuselage design, about half the price. Because it's really expensive to design and create a new airplane. It's in the tens of billion, at least several billion dollars. And so Boeing screwed the pooch on this one. It has gone from uh, having... Uh, I think it's fair to say the premier reputation, the premier airplane building company in the world to, wow, do I really want to fly on a Boeing aircraft, particularly the 737, where people actually, uh, when the 737 uh, comes back online, will say, will ask, what aircraft am I flying on? And if it is a 737 MAX, I say, no, thank you. Put me on another airplane. You ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of not flying on an airline at a given time because you don't trust the aircraft itself? That is what's going to happen. Boeing is in a world of hurt. And now the newest wrinkle is the simulator wrinkle. 
And uh, also, I mean, getting this thing back, you think that it would just be a software fix, right? The MCAS system has a fixable software. Okay, how long does it take to tweak software? Well, as they tweak it, it actually has to be redesigned, and then that sets off another set of circumstances which sets off something else, which looks at the design, the basic design, and it is a mess going on. And we'll see what kind of changes they have to uh, incorporate, or they already have, and the FAA is looking at it. And you can bet they're going to be very careful in looking at recertifying the plane. All right. Uh, all right. If you ever listen to Handle on the Law, uh, you get questions, or I get questions about workers' comp constantly and disability and how all of that works. And it is a, the system is a mess. People ask uh, me all the time, Bill, it's been a year. It's been two years, and I haven't seen a doctor yet to give me full-time disability. And I answer with, welcome to the California work comp system. Because here's what happens. You go on temporary disability. You can't work. And then uh, let's say you're permanently disabled. Uh, You have to wait for the work comp board to have a doctor write up a report saying you can't work anymore, you're done. And therefore you're gonna go full-time disability. Well, those doctors are called qualified medical evaluators. And the problem is there aren't anywhere near enough of those guys or women to do this. So now the weight just creeps up, creeps up, and you go, why? Why is there such a weight? Because they're not paying them enough. That's why. There's a shortage of doctors anyway. Just to give you a stat, 2,800 medical evaluators uh, were doing their job 2017 to 2018. All right. I mean, that seems like a lot. I mean, 2,800 uh, doctors evaluating work work comp cases. 100,000 new requests came in, which added to the backlog. And then there's a whole issue about the doctors themselves. Uh, Those reports meet quality standards. Are they accurate? Are they complete? And they really don't track, track how often judges reject the reports because quite often these evaluators just say no. Or I don't think it's full disability. Or maybe it's 80%, 60% uh, disability. And then you have the work comp judge, the administrative law judge, that then accepts the doctor's report or does it, kicks it back, says, ah, this report isn't uh, complete enough. I want more information. And not only is there a doctor shortage and the very issue of how these evaluators evaluate, They don't get enough money. Now, at first glance, you know, it seems pretty good. You know what they get? 240 bucks an hour, which, I mean, ain't bad. How many of us would be thrilled at $240 an hour? But doctors make more than that. Doctors in private practice can make a bundle of money. And so their doctors at this point have their choice of how and where to practice. 
The only place where they don't have much of a choice, where there is a glut of doctors, is the super high-end specialties. So you're not going to have a trained cardiovascular surgeon, for example, having done six, seven years of residency on top of medical school, on top, on top of, let's say, coming out of a top school, and then reading medical evaluations or determining whether someone is going to be on permanent disability. So uh, it's a mess. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. By the way, the law calls for within 60 days. They have to come up with a report. All right, KFI AM 640. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.